This is Ye Old Dragons Library, the storytelling podcast. This is the place to hear fantastical fiction and hear from authors of fantastical news stories. This episode is another chapter in the fantasy novel Plantwise, book one in the Steward's World series. If you're ready for the magic of story, let's begin. Chapter 9 The priests had left, taking Rose's body with them to prepare for burial. Darian moved stiffly, dowsing the fire, while Arden stood in the doorway holding a lantern. The best thing for him was to take him back to his quarters at the palace, rather than leaving him in his mother's empty house to grieve alone. She would have preferred to stay here with him, but someone was always sneaking around, looking for fodder for gossip and scandal. She couldn't afford to let a whisper start now, when Maddox had likely come to Westerland to pressure her to elope with him. He might even use the threat of scandal to force her hand. She dreaded going home, to learn that while she was away, Maddox had announced their betrothal. How far could he insist and push until Alex confronted him with the truth? How long could her father hold out against the nobles, who had been insisting on a marriage alliance since the day she was born? If only creating a hint of scandal could ensure she married Darian. But nothing was sure. Hadn't that been impressed on her over the last few days, with all her daydreams and silly romantic notions shredded before her eyes? From the doorway, the city at near midnight appeared to sleep. The rain that had vanished an hour ago threatened to return, churning in clouds across the sky and hiding the moon and stars. She wrapped a cloak scented with lavender tighter around her shoulders. Mistress Rose's cloak. Darian hadn't been so fogged with grief that he hadn't noticed the chill in the air. He had insisted she use it, and keep it, that his mother would want her to have it as a remembrance. All right. Darian sighed and stepped back from the dark fireplace. She reached for a second cloak, hanging on the peg by the door. From the worn embroidery on the collar and the lack of any scent at all, Arden guessed this had been his father's cloak, and Rose had kept it by the door, a holder of memories. Glinna flared into being in the doorway, the glow of her magic wavering. You have to come home, quickly. It's Caitlin. What happened to her? Arden's voice hurt from the need to shout her question, but the thick stillness of the darkened street restrained her. Is she all right? She will be. Glinna wrung her hands and flew two circles around Arden, while Darian came and snatched up his father's cloak. She was attacked when she was fetching the herbs. She surprised someone in your workroom. Arden? Darian shouted her name and reached to catch her as her legs folded. The tree, Arden whispered. Now she understood that odd, detached feeling. Someone killed my tree? They took it, Glinna growled. Arden thought she would be violently ill. She clung to Darian, her mind racing, while all the implications battered at her. Somewhere in that dizzy spinning, she was aware that he gathered her up in his arms and yanked the door closed to hurry down the wet streets to the palace. All that magic she had poured into the tree, all the blessings, the protection she had woven into it to guard and guide Westerland and nourish the crops and ward away pestilence and blight, gone. Once the tree had been planted, Nothing would ever be able to move it, with its roots spreading out far underground, spilling her stored magic throughout the entire kingdom. Why had she delayed planting it? 
tying Westerlin to her, no matter how far away she traveled. Arden almost wished someone had destroyed the tree. Stealing it was far worse, because they could appropriate her magic, force it to bless another kingdom. How could she stand knowing her magic was forced to benefit a thief? It won't benefit them, will it, she whispered, when the lights of the palace gates were visible. What was that? Darian paused and looked around, and found a bench tucked under an awning in front of a closed shop. He put her down and brushed damp hair out of her face. What happened? You scared me half to death. Someone stole my tree. Arden nearly burst into tears when horror wrinkled his face, swiftly transformed into fury. Darian understood, and his anger for her helped steady her spinning head and churning insides. Auntie, they stole my magic! Everything the tree is supposed to do for Westerland. But it won't do them any good in the end, will it? Planting that tree with lies wrapped around it? Burdened with theft and selfishness? Glinna shook her head. The glow of her magic darkened, and she shuddered. For a few years they will believe they have triumphed, but then their stolen prosperity will turn bitter and poison them. Whoever took the tree likely understands enough to know what a treasure it is, but they don't understand enough to look ahead and see how they will slowly kill themselves, their family, and in the end, their kingdom. A tree. Maddox took a deep breath to release a stream of curses at having been yanked away from a thoroughly pleasant game of seducing Bianca and frustrating Alex. A flicker of green magic among the leaves on one side of the tree stopped him. Then he understood... This was Arden's silly little magic apple tree that she had been so proud of. He had been bored silly the first time she described to him what she hoped to do. Every time she had mentioned it in one of her letters, he had skimmed over it. Jago always managed to get his hands on her letters, so he knew all the details, which didn't seem so trivial now. If he was lucky, all Arden's plant-wise magic resided in that little potted sapling, clenched tight in Clancy's hands, resting on the front of his saddle. Which meant no plant-wise magic for Westerland. Oh, very well done, he said, nearly purring. You need to come up with a suitable response when Westerland comes looking for that tree, Jago said, after only a few seconds of gloating. Maddox didn't miss that I-told-you-so glance the man gave him. No doubt, Jago would hold that petty little theft over his head for months, maybe years to come. He might even try to take the tree with him when Maddox dismissed him from his service and sent him packing. Best to get that tree planted, safely inside the private portion of the palace gardens, with guards around it. Guards who were loyal to Maddox and would only laugh if Jago threatened them. What makes you think anyone in Westerland will suspect me, he said, after only a few seconds of thinking. Let us hope they won't. Jago glanced over his shoulder at Clancy and Bathan, who had taken their accustomed spots right behind them. Did you have any trouble getting in and out again? We stole the palace livery, and we used that darkness charm you gave us. Bathan's thick voice sounded bored. Nobody came near the princess's rooms until we were leaving. Until? His voice cracked. Some serving maid came in. Clancy chuckled, knocked her flat before she could make a sound. She probably didn't even know we were there. Did you hit her hard enough to kill her? We don't want the alarm raised until we're several hours closer to the border. Oh, she's out and gone, Bathan spat, 
If she's not dead, then her brains are scrambled for the rest of her life. We know what we're doing. Maddox muffled a chuckle, especially when Jago gave both henchmen a caustic look before turning around in his saddle to face forward. As I was saying, Jago heaved a long-suffering sigh that made Maddox want to tell Bathan to hit him right then and there and preferably leave him on the side of the road. Westerland might not suspect us, but we need several responses ready, depending on the tone of the message when they come looking. They may ask if we've heard any news. I can't imagine any of them have the wit or courage to accuse us outright. Still, best to be prepared. Best to attack, instead of waiting for them to get into position, Clancy grumbled. True. Maddox grinned and cast a sideways glance at Jago, lit with flickering light from the lanterns carried on tall poles by the soldiers, in front of and behind them. This was turning out even better than he could have hoped. He wouldn't even be disappointed to reach Stonemount and find out his father wasn't anywhere close to death. He had Arden's magic apple tree. What did he need her for at all? Likely no other prince in any of the surrounding kingdoms would want her, once they learned she had so foolishly poured all her plant-wise magic into the tree and then let it get stolen. Maddox didn't know as much as he would like to about the rules of magic, but common sense said Arden wouldn't be drained forever. He would leave her alone, rejected by other princes and kingdoms, and follow the plan he had come up with while dancing with Bianca. Let her believe the marriage with Bianca was a matter of state. Leave her in silence for months, to eat herself up with jealousy and a broken heart, and impress on her the golden opportunities she had missed. Then, by the time her magic returned and she was a desirable bride again, he would have sired a son, preferably two on Bianca, arranged for her death, and could turn to Arden, playing the part of broken-hearted, grieving widower. This was perfect. This was better than the original plan. Not that he was going to compliment Jago on his decision. When was the man going to learn that he had stopped being the teacher and master long ago? Certainly, Dermad was ready to discard him the moment he made too many mistakes. If we're careful, Arden will suspect nothing for months. When her magic returns, if it does, she'll be weak and desperate to be reunited with her tree. We'll draw her to Stonemount, and if she doesn't comply with our plans, we'll simply take her prisoner until she's learned her lesson, Jago said. Maddox said nothing. He could already think of a dozen ways that plan would fail. It was up to him to make sure nothing went wrong. We've come to a break in the story. I'd like to take a moment to tell you about a book that you might be interested in reading. What if Sleeping Beauty wanted to sleep? What if the sleep was amnesia? Or just a long, bad dream? What if her beauty sleep lasted too long? What if she sacrificed herself to sleep to protect her family? Those are just some of the questions explored in the new fairy tales anthology, Perchance to Dream. Seventeen authors present new twists on the story of Sleeping Beauty, Perchance to Dream. Fairy tale anthology number three, new from Ye Old Dragon Books. And now, back to the story. The gardens of the royal palace of Stonemount were half the size of the city that surrounded it, stretching out for acres across rolling meadows, 
broken by sweeping stands of trees and exquisitely maintained flower beds. Dylan supported his grandfather as he and Ambrose headed into the sheltered corner of the garden where Maddox had asked them to join him. His message had simply stated that he had been gifted with a tree imbued with magic, and he needed Ambrose's approval of the spot where he wanted to plant it. They walked in silence, with Maddox's muscle-bound assistants, Clancy and Bathan, carrying the potted sapling. The chosen spot stood close to a narrow, silvery stream that meandered through the royal gardens, where several ancient trees had stood for years, even after they had been killed by lightning. No other plants had tried to encroach into the area, after the master gardener and his servants chopped down the trees. There was plenty of sunlight all day long, and few shadows, and the remaining trees provided an appropriate frame to display the treasure. Dylan wasn't surprised when Maddox left it to them to plant the tree and hurried away with his two assistants. He claimed he wanted Ambrose's healing magic to be woven into the soil and water to protect the tree. Dylan didn't believe for a moment the story he had given them about attempts along the way to Stonemount to waylay his traveling party and steal the tree. However Maddox had obtained the tree, it was through twisted enough means that he wanted them to keep silent about its presence. To protect Ambrose and stay on Maddox's good side, Dylan would comply. The two healers planted the tree with all the care due the tender sapling and dipped up water from the stream in their own hands, taking many trips to water it. Dylan felt it only appropriate and fitting. His sensitivity to magic at work had grown slowly over the years, and he was awed at the potential for blessing and healing and prosperity shining softly in the leaves of the little tree. He said a silent prayer that Yeshin would use the tree to guard Stonemount against Maddox's arrogance and selfishness. Could a little tree like that have the power to neutralize the harm his cousin would do? Look at that, Ambrose murmured, as they stepped back to look at the little tree. The green-gold glow edging the leaves grew a little brighter. Then, with faint popping sounds, five more leaves sprang from the main trunk and uncurled. The little tree shook slightly and stretched, adding another inch to its height before their eyes. I think it likes its new home, Dylan murmured, his mouth dropping open in wonder, despite his own experiences with magic since childhood. That is very good for us. I don't want to think what could happen to Stone Mount if the tree was not happy here. Arden is a talented girl, but I doubt she realizes what she put into this amazing little creation of hers. Arden? Dylan shivered, sensing this was at the core of what wasn't right about Maddox's story. Princess Arden? Of Westerland? Oh, no. Exactly. Why would she be stupid? Sorry, why would she be so foolish to give something so full of magic to Maddox? Dylan thought he would spew the remains of his dinner right there on the disturbed soil of the planting. I don't think she did. Such a massive working and weaving of magic was likely intended to stay in Westerland when she left to marry. Ambrose sighed. The taint of deception is already nipping at the roots of this innocent little tree. Maddox stole it? He kept his voice down, shuddering at a sudden fear that one of Maddox's bully boys would descend on them if they heard. He seems to prefer taking and threatening rather than asking. If a gift isn't given in fear, he doesn't value it. Ambrose sighed. We need to make a very good excuse for you to leave. Some vital errand for me, so you can deliver a letter to Arden, warning her. And watch what you say about the tree. 
If Maddox even suspects that I identified Arden's magic woven into this tree, well, I already know he reads my letters to and from Arden. He could stop them altogether, or substitute his own letters from mine to turn her against me, or make her think you despise her. Dylan studied the little apple tree, seeing it in a new light. Some of that light was pity for her loss, mixed with wonder at what the girl had wrought. Arden held hands with Darian during Mistress Rose's funeral, and didn't care what the gossips and rumor-mongers said or thought, or what news reached Maddox. Let him get jealous and rage and threaten her and finally show his true colors. She would welcome it. Nothing was right inside her. She sensed when her little tree was dry. She sensed when it was shaken on the thieves' long journey. She fought tears of fury when that was all she knew. Certainly not a sense of direction, a sense of distance. Something to give her hope of retrieving her tree before it was planted and lost to Westerland forever. She wondered sometimes if she would fall ill or faint or even die if the tree was harmed. So she clung to Darien as much as he clung to her, both of them comforting each other. She put on a brave face and had her temporary maidservant, Lily, paint her face to hide her pallor. Darien needed her, and she refused to distract him in his grief to worry about her. Certainly, the loss of his mother was a greater tragedy than the loss of her tree. So she smiled for Darien and teased him to eat and get rest, and held his hand and straightened his hair and his clothes. And when he seemed most dazed and lost in grief and fighting not to show it, she kissed him. That certainly shocked him back to alertness. The kiss shocked her, too, because it was so utterly sweet and right. Magic throbbed through her, from her lips to her toes and the ends of her hair. Darian's eyes lost that aching, shadowy look for a few moments, and he smiled for her. So after that, they stole kisses whenever possible which wasn't nearly as often as she would have liked. Never before had she realized so clearly what a public life she led. She vowed she would never kiss any other man. How could she, when this first kiss was so utterly perfect? Darian belonged to her, and when he was healed enough, she would make sure he understood. Arden told no one about the kisses except Caitlin. She visited her maid and best friend several times a day, in the dark, quiet, cool room where she lay, recovering from her injury. The blow to her head was so grievous she needed to lay perfectly still. Light hurt her eyes, and sounds louder than a whisper made her head want to split open. The two girls whispered together, and Caitlin smiled for the first time, and her coloring looked better when Arden confided in her about the kisses. Caitlin was the only one Arden told when she sensed that the apple tree had crossed the border of Westerland, taken into another kingdom. The two wept together, though Arden was quick to scold her friend not to cry. She would only hurt her head more. At the funeral, Arden held tight to Darian's hand and was comforted by the returning warmth and strength in his grip. He was healing. She promised herself she would kiss him at the graveside and hoped devoutly that Mistress Rose would see and know and be happy. If Maddox had any spies intruding on Mistress Rose's funeral, she hoped they would see her kiss Darian and report that to their master. She wanted him to know that he would never persuade her to leave her family and kingdom for him, no matter how he flattered and lectured and drowned her in poetic words. She and Darian led the procession from the palace chapel, heading for the garden gate, 
to walk down to the river and the burial grounds. On the second step of the chapel, she felt as if her feet were sinking through the stones, turning into roots reaching for soil. Arden clutched at Darian's hand, but her own hands wouldn't cooperate. She sank down into soil, into darkness. When she opened her eyes, Darian held her on his lap, clutched tight against him. Her mother knelt on the steps, holding her hand and cupping her cheek. Her father stood over Darian's shoulder, gazing at her with such concern she nearly burst into tears. Glinna hovered just past Queen Elisa's shoulder. "'Stonemount,' Arden whispered, in answer to the question on Glinna's face. "'My tree was just planted in Stonemount.' Darian wanted her to go back to the palace and rest, but she insisted on finishing the funeral, seeing Mistress Rose safely buried next to her husband. Arden tried until her head ached to focus on the words of the priest quoting Holy Writ and the singing of the children's choir. Mistress Rose had been choir mistress for nearly thirty years, and their sweet song, pure and steady despite the tears making so many faces glisten, was a tribute to her devotion and their love for her. Arden's throat was too tight to sing along as a final gift to Mistress Rose. Her mind raced through the implications, the possibilities, the problems. She wanted to write a short, stark letter, demanding Maddox return her tree. Even if he agreed, he wouldn't be able to. Once her tree entered the soil of Stonemount, nothing but the strongest, fiercest magic could uproot it. She knew enough statecraft from discussions over family dinners and sitting in on her father's council meetings. She couldn't just accuse Maddox of theft. He would deny the tree was there, or claim he knew nothing about it, and take offense, maybe use it as an excuse to attack Westerland. What could they do? She prayed, clutching tightly to Darian's hand, and asked Yeshin to guide her father and the council in the proper course of action. Part of her feared that the smartest tactic would be to pretend she didn't know where the tree was. What kind of weapon could she put into Maddox's hand, into the hands of any enemy of Westerland, if she revealed the tight bond she had with her tree. We're already at the end of today's chapter. I hope you enjoyed yourself and you're eagerly looking forward to the next episode of Ye Old Dragons Library. <laughs>